verses 3 through 12, which is page 1168 in the Pew Bibles. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you have learned it from Ephesus, our beloved fellow saint. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. had somebody, someone who is visiting our services uh, for a while, and they said, you know, you guys really pray a lot in the course of a service. You know, we, we sit and we stand a lot, too. I, I don't know if there's some deep theological reason for that. There probably is, uh, but I don't know what it is. As far as the prayer goes, though, uh, there are a couple things. Philippians 4, 6 says this, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that's part of why we pray a lot in, in our services. I also like uh, the way another pastor put it, a guy named Sam Storms. He said, we must never presume God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. We must never presume God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. And so we do. We, we pray a lot uh, in these services because it is important, because God asks us to, because it is good for us, and because uh, we want to be obedient to the Lord and what he calls us to do. But the question is, how how should we pray? And today as we're looking at Ephesians, and this is this letter that's all about the church, how should we pray for the church? How should we pray for this church? How should we pray for the church in our country? How should we pray for the church in Ukraine? How should we pray for the church in Russia? How should we pray for the church in the Middle East? We're going to look at Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21, which shares a lot in common with what we just heard from Colossians, and we're going to see how we should pray. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. But before we read that, let's pray. 
Father, we do ask that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, would you be in our hearts, be at work in our hearts, by and with your word. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. Paul writes this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Paul has been gone. He's been away from Ephesus for several years now. And the church, as we talked about, the church has been growing. You probably have a lot of little house churches throughout the city, and there are a lot of people that are a part of the church now that Paul has never met. And so what does he do? He does the same thing for them that he does for the Colossian church. And he would have written these letters right around the same time. And so what does he do? He says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So what is he doing? He is praising God. He is thanking God for the faith that God has brought about in the church in Ephesus. And then he says that he prays for them. What does he pray? You see it a little bit. You see the start of it in verses 17 through part of 18. He prays. And and you can see, if you think about last week, you can see the Trinity at work in this passage. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The first part of his prayer is this. He is praying that God would give them wisdom revelation, knowledge, all of these things about God, that that he would uh, enlighten the eyes of their hearts. Why is this important? Why, Why does it matter if God gives wisdom and revelation and knowledge and enlightens hearts? Well, we can ask this question, how do you know what you know about God? How do you know what you know about God? We can think about it in a couple of different ways, and I I brought these things with me. How many of you ever saw, how many of you ever saw one of these before? Does anybody know what this is? Any of you kids know what this is? It's a picture. This is a magic eye poster. It's a magic eye poster. Now, now you're starting to know. Now, here is the thing. It's a picture, and it's kind of cool just to look at it now. 
But if you have someone come and explain it to you, and they teach you how to look at this, you begin to see something else. It begins to make sense. And what you have to do, and I have some of these. I'll leave them up here if anybody wants to try it after the service. What you have to do is you have to look at it, and then you kind of have to let your eyes go out of focus a little bit so it starts to get blurry, and then those blurry images will cross and bam, refocus. And now you see a different image and it's in 3D. You begin to see what's there. Here, here's the thing though. You don't know what to do with one of these unless somebody tells you. You're not just going to figure it out on your own. You can see this thing on the wall. You can walk by it every single day. But until somebody tells you, this is how you look at it. This is how you see what's there. Until somebody tells you that, you're not going to get it. Well, how do you know what you know about God? You need someone to tell you. You need someone to to reveal it to you. You could think about it this way too. If you think about last week, we talked about the Trinity and how we can't really understand the Trinity. It's like a three-dimensional being coming into a two-dimensional world. That's what C.S. Lewis talked about. And so we can't quite understand that. The only way we can understand a three-dimensional being in a two-dimensional world is if that three-dimensional being begins to reveal things about himself and explain it to us in a way that we can know. And so God wants us to know him. And so Jesus comes into our two-dimensional world. God becomes flesh so that we can understand him. And we need the Holy Spirit to then begin to to help us to know, to help us to know who God is. We need Jesus and we need the Holy Spirit to reveal this triune God to us. And so Paul is doing that. He is saying, hey, I want you to know who God is. And he is asking that God will continue to reveal himself. Because we know him in part, but we can know him more as time goes on and as the Spirit reveals. But it is not just enough to have knowledge. It's not just enough to have knowledge because, and we've talked about this before, but that knowledge needs to go from here down to here. It needs to go from your head down to your heart. That is why Paul is praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. He wants the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened because you can learn all about Kenya. You can know the capital. You can know what the flag looks like. You can know the the currency that they use. Um, You can know all about their politics and and, uh, how their political system works. And you can know all of these kinds of things about Kenya. But to go there, to go there gives you different type of knowledge. It goes from the head into the heart. You know what it smells like. You know what the air feels like. You know the sound of the people walking on the street. You you have relationships with people who are there. It's a different kind of knowledge. Or, Or this, you could learn all about soccer, what the rest of the world calls football. You could know what it means to be offside. You could know how long the halves are. You could know all of the rules. You could know who the best players are and what teams they play on. But it's different to play in the game. 
to, to feel the grass under your feet, to f- the, the feel of it when you slide on it, the sound of the crowd, the, the sweat on your forehead. It's a different kind of knowledge. Paul is saying we need that knowledge to go from our, our head to our heart. Why? As that good Puritan Thomas Goodwin said, Judas heard all of Christ's sermons. We need that knowledge to go from the head to the heart. And we need the Holy Spirit to be at work to enlighten our hearts. And so Paul is praying that God will continue to reveal himself to the Ephesians. And then he begins to ask that that God would apply what he reveals to their hearts in three different ways. Three different ways. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This first one here is that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Well, what is this hope? What is the hope to which God has called us? I actually really like the way uh, a children's author puts it. I was telling somebody this week, I I said, you see see this kid's Bible over here called the Jesus Storybook Bible? I said, "This this is one of the best commentaries on Scripture you will ever read. And she talks about this hope to which God has called us. And it's that God is making all of the sad things come untrue. He is undoing them. He is unmaking them over the course of history. And so that someday when we are in glory, all of the darkness will seem like a far distant memory. It will seem like something so small, like such such a, a tick that has passed by on the clock because God is undoing all of those sad things. And God is calling us to proclaim that truth and to live it out. This is the hope of our calling. Now, when you know it in your head, when you know it in your head, you can say the right things about it to a hopeless world. You can say all of the right things to a hopeless world. But what you're going to do is you're still going to look at that darkness and you're going to let it overwhelm you. Because you just know it in your head. But when you know it in your heart, you can look at that darkness and with the Lord at work in you and through you, you begin to push it back and you cooperate with God's work to make whatever the space is around you better reflect God's coming kingdom. Whether that's just in your heart, the heart of your spouse, whether it's at your work, at your school, wherever it is, when you know that in your heart, when you know the hope of your calling in your heart, you begin to push back with the Lord on that darkness. And we can think about someone like William Wilberforce, who you're very familiar with, I'm sure, who was the man that God got a hold of his heart, and he took that knowledge from his head down into his heart. And what does he do? He devotes the rest of his life to seeing slavery gone in England. Or you could think about it this way. You could think about it as a mom Who's, who knows that the neighborhood kids don't have anywhere else to go. They don't have a safe place. They, they don't have friends that are going to encourage them and, un, and uplift them. And so she says, come over to my house. 
you are pushing back against that darkness because you know that that is what God is doing. And the hope of your calling is that you are a part of that and that God will succeed. Then he says this. He says that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Okay, now there's some debate here about well, what, what his inheritance in the saints, where, where does that go, and, and who's possessive is what, and, and, and we could get in all that, but let's not. The gist of it is this, and no matter where you land on that debate, the gist of it is this, God gets something at the end of history. He gets his corrupted world restored. And because of Christ, we get to share in that too. We get to share in that too. We, we get to be part of this thing, this, this restored and renewed creation. And when you know that in your head, you will build your best life here, not because you are trying to be faithful or something like that, but just in case you got that part wrong. Just in case you got that wrong about heaven. And so your focus is not, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be faithful. And and you experience the blessings that come from that. Rather, your focus is, I just want to get it all in before I die, just in case. Just in case this whole restored world, renewed creation, just in case I got that wrong, I'm going to get it all in. That's what happens if you just know this in your head. But if you know it in your heart, it's a bit like Narnia. And I'm going to read this this quote to you from The Last Battle. It says this, It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in the wall of that room, opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror, or the valley in the mirror, were in one sense just the same as the real ones, yet at the same time, there were somehow different deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, in a story you have never heard, but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground, and he neighed, and then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up. Come further in. See, when you know it in your heart, when you know in your heart what is the glorious inheritance of the saints, when you know it in your heart, you can rejoice in the good things, be grateful to God, but you can endure 
anything with a joy that shines through tears because you know of that far country where we go further up and further in and you know that the best is yet to come. The last peace that he wants the Spirit to apply to their hearts is this, that they may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. In Ephesus, the people had this fascination with power, and so there was a lot of magic and magical practices and things like that, because it's all, that's all about power. That's all that is. And... and we, we're going to see more of that later on, but we know that the world shares this same fascination with power. If you wanted to see power, um, we could go on a trip together. We could go see a, a mayor. We could go see a governor. We could go see a president. We could, even, we could go see a dictator who has complete control of the military. He has all of the power he needs to accomplish his goals and his whims. Or maybe, maybe if we're lucky, we could go see a, a billionaire. Like go see Elon Musk or something. Right? He's got tons of money, and he's got crazy ideas, and he's got the money that gives him the power to do these ridiculous things. Or if you wanted to, to come a little closer to home, you could go find a mom whose kids have been bullied, and in her righteous anger, she has power to strike fear into hearts of those who have bullied her kids and anyone that let it happen. There are all different ways that we can go around and we can see power and we can see it at work. But Paul is writing and he is saying this, if you want to see real power, look at the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. And you want to know real power? That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that seated him at God's right hand, where he rules over all, that same power is at work in you. That same power is at work in you. You can go anywhere in the world and you can find the most powerful people. You can even find the most powerful elements of nature and nothing has power to raise from the dead. But God does. And that resurrection power is at work in you. God did it with Jesus and he will do it again with all of those who trust in him. Now, when you know that in your head, you have kind of a half trust. You, you, you have that trust that, that's like the, the kid that's kind of standing on the edge of the diving board and they're looking at their parent in the water and they're kind of like, ah, are you really going to catch me though? Okay, I'm ready, but are you... Tell me again exactly how this is going to work. Okay, put your arms up. Higher, higher, closer, Right? And that's what the kid is thinking. And they have this half trust that's like, God, I trust you uh, if I could just understand your plan. If I could just understand what you're doing. Lord, I trust you, but would you just tell me a little bit more about how this is going to go? Because I trust you. Kind of. When you know these things in your head, you get that half trust. 
But when you know it in your heart, you get what, what we could call a rich trust. It's not a perfect trust. It is not a perfect trust, but it is rich in its desire to be a full and a perfect trust. We, we think of the man who was talking to Jesus, and, and he said, can you please... If you can, if you can, there's that half trust. If you can, would you please heal my daughter? And Jesus says, if I can, don't you know that I can? And the man goes from that half trust to a rich trust when he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It is a rich trust. It is rich in its desire to be a full and a perfect trust. It is the kind of trust that says, Lord, I believe, and so I'm going to jump And I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know what it's going to look like. But I trust that you are going to catch me. Why? Because you know in your heart that God is at work in you and in me with resurrection power. With real power. A kind of power that no one else in the world has. And when we have that rich trust and we have it in our hearts, then we put all of our hope in His work, His goodness, His power to accomplish His will in us and through us. So my question for you this morning is this. What what do you have? What area? Where in your life can you look at and you can say, "Something something needs to happen. Something needs to go from here down into here. Something needs to go from my head to my heart. Do you know? Do you know the hope of your calling? Do you know what is the glorious inheritance God has for us? Do you know the power that is at work in you? Do you know it in your head? Or do you know it in your heart? My prayer, Paul's prayer, our prayer, is that the Holy Spirit will bring that down into our hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are at work in us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one with the power to enlighten the eyes of our hearts. We ask that you would do that now. We ask that you would do that as we worship together. We ask that you would do that through this meal that you have given us for just this purpose. This meal is our spiritual nourishment. This meal is where you are at work in our souls. And so we thank you for it. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.